Welcome to the Gathering Place Church weekly podcast. We hope today's message ignites, equips, and challenges you to live out your Christian faith and to bring healing to a broken world. We posture ourselves this morning is this is the beginning of Holy Week today being Palm Sunday. You know, we're given a, a moment to rejoice, a moment to welcome Him. But we know as the week moves along, as Good Friday arrives, there's some very sorrowful, weeping moments as we see Jesus' passion revealed, His love for us, His prayer in the garden, all the beautiful moments that we reflect on this week. just want us to bow our head and just welcome him in a posture of humility today because Jesus comes not riding in on a horse to say, I'm going to take this kingdom by force. He comes on a donkey, humbly, knowing he would be sacrifice, knowing he would bore our sins, knowing he would make a way for our souls to be saved and healed. Jesus, we welcome you this morning. We thank you that Palm Sunday is also a picture of Jesus coming again. We look to that day when Jesus breaks the eastern sky rescues and he comes for his bride. Oh Jesus, we welcome you with lowly hearts today. We thank you for Jesus as we're in this series on the life, the ministry, the teaching, the healing of Jesus. Let Jesus become real to us. Let this not be another service, another Sunday, but let us encounter the living God. We thank you that this Holy Week isn't just something reflected upon, but we're to engage and experience this journey with Jesus. So, Father, break complacency, break familiarity, break the things that keep us bound, desensitized, where we can't see you, can't feel you, we can't experience you. Fill us afresh with new wine. We welcome you with palms today and say Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. We lay our clothes down as the men and women took their jackets off and they laid them for Jesus to ride in saying, I lay my flesh down today. Come and have your way. We welcome you this morning with praise, with thanksgiving. We thank you that even as today is our beloved Pastor Joyce's birthday, that this is a good birthday for her today. She's in glory. She's praying and interceding for us as she's worshiping the King of kings and Lord of lords. God, we thank you for the beauty we as a family, as a church, have experienced this past week. God, it's a joy to be in your house. Better is one day in your court thousands elsewhere. 
let this be a day of joy as we welcome our King. In Jesus' name. If you'd lift your hands. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're here. We receive the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We are not orphaned. We are sons and daughters of the King today. And God, allow the ministry of King Jesus to break deeply into our lives. God, as we just don't take a, a, a day and we don't waste a moment, let us engage in this moment. Let us be fed and nourished by the Word of God. Let the Spirit of God be saturation to the dry and weary and desperate places that are within us. Break into those places today in the name of Jesus. Nothing is wasted in your presence. We pour it out freely, unhindered, unbound. Oh, these are the things that the presence of God does to us. Unbind your people today. We love you, Jesus. You're here. You are welcomed to do whatever you want to do. This is your house. This is your people. This is your body. And it is a joy to be gathered in your presence today. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, you can be seated. I believe I got a word today. This word is actually, I've been camping on it. And I love the messages that you can camp on for a little bit. And me personally, I love a, a uh, what's known as a liturgical calendar where you can get into the experience of Jesus like a Holy Week, like a Palm Sunday, like an Easter, like a Good Friday, that there's so much beauty in these holy, pure traditions that Jesus gives that the apostles have handed down to us for some 2,000 years. And I pray you're blessed this week as you engage, and I pray you allow the Lord to, um, to prick your heart that you just don't be a bystander this week but you open the scriptures, you follow with the passion narrative, you read them to your children this week, you study them, and you allow the Lord to minister to you as we engage in Holy Week. Well, you heard the um, reading today on Palm Sunday, Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Well, in the same breath of Palm Sunday, in the same message of what Jesus is teaching us, there's this beautiful moment that would have happened the night before. Jesus comes in riding on a donkey. And hey, if you want to do with Luke, we just pass him around. And everyone just blesses him. Um, I'll, I'll keep an eye on Luke. If he starts going, just pat his back, love on him, he'll be okay. Now we love Savannah. You know, Savannah was Pastor Joyce's uh, last baby she dedicated here. Um, so that, that was a beautiful moment that uh, Savannah and Pastor Joyce will always share. Um, but today with it, there's this beautiful um, story I want to bring out in the Palm Sunday narrative. And it's the anointing of Jesus' body before his burial. It's the anointing of Mary Magdalene to the feet of Jesus. You know the story where her feet were washed with the hair. And... Uh, an abundance of oil was poured out. Um, so this would have happened the night before, and this would have been um, a moment in this passion narrative 
And I want to set the scene for you. We read the triumphal entry. We're going to teach on the anointing of Jesus' body. But previously before that, um, and it would be commemorated, last Sunday would be the raising of Lazarus. Lazarus come forth, right? And he walked out of the grave, and he still had his grave clothes on, and which is a very important detail because when Jesus comes out of the grave, the grave clothes are left behind. But when Lazarus came out, there was still the grave clothes to say, yes, there's a resurrection, but Lazarus will still one day die. But it's a picture that this moment where it says in John chapter 11, if you read it, it says many Jews begin believing. And as Lazarus was raised from the dead, it was as though it was, um, it was the, the trigger that caused the uproar to where Jesus would essentially become a fugitive to the city that they had to shut him down because his kingdom was coming on. People were beginning to believe. The Pharisees didn't like him. Rome didn't like him. And here he's now raised Lazarus from the dead. But before he raised Lazarus from the dead, there's a powerful scripture. I believe it's John eleven fifty four, or somewhere right in there. And it's the shortest scripture. We all know this one and love this one. But it was that Jesus wept. And we see this beautiful emotion, this zeal, this friendship that he had for Lazarus, that he cared that Lazarus was dead. And if you go and you read the story, you would see he cared um, when Martha comes to him, because you need to know this if you don't. Martha, Mary, and Lazarus are one family. They're brothers and sisters. And they were a very close friend, a very close circle that supported Jesus. You can even see in the scriptures, it's known as the glory of Bethany, where you see so many beautiful moments that happened with this family in the city of Bethany. Bethany means the city of affliction. So it's amazing in the city of affliction that there was these beautiful moments. And we see with Mary Magdalene specifically, there's three beautiful accounts of her life in the scripture. You see one where we encounter her in desperation and despondency as she's thrown at Jesus' feet. It says, you without sin cast the first stone. We then see because she was forgiven much here, her life forever changed. And now there's this desperation to follow Jesus at all costs and hold nothing back. We talked of earlier in this series, we see where there's this second encounter of where Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Isn't it funny in the life of Mary, Jesus' feet are always involved. There's a life lesson in the life of Mary. She's teaching us that here in the first, she's at his feet, cast down, and grace finds her and lifts her head. The second is she's sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning from him. Martha, Martha, Jesus says to his sister, why are you troubled about many things? Mary has found this one thing, and it's sitting at his feet. Mary then, what we're going to talk about today, we see that Mary teaches us a powerful lesson of worship at the feet of Jesus. So Jesus is weeping with Martha and Mary over the death of Lazarus. And Jesus does a miracle, raises Lazarus from the dead four days later after he was, he was dead, which was uh, on purpose because Jews at the time believed that um, the spirit would hover around the body for some three days. So Jesus was going to make every, sure, every Jewish tradition that this was a bona fide resurrection. Don't you love Jesus? He leaves nothing to chance. 
He touches every detail where we never have any question. So we see Jesus weeping. Martha and Mary are weeping. He's raised from the dead. And in this moment, weeping goes to rejoicing. There's excitement. The entire narrative has changed where they thought that they had lost Lazarus, but here he is alive again. I mean, what would you do if you experienced this miracle? We know what Martha does and what she does best. She hosts a dinner. So Martha hosts a dinner. Um, and we like to kind of push Martha around a little bit, but she used her gift in the way that God gave it to her. And we've talked through this, that Martha knew how to invite Jesus in, but it's Mary who knew how to keep him. Let's never forget that either. They have to accompany each other. So we see in the scriptures in John chapter 12 that Martha prepares a dinner, prepares a table, because they're going to dine together and celebrate that Jesus has raised their brother, Lazarus. And what I love, if you put John chapter 12 up, all this account is found in every gospel. So you get different details. I chose John today because it gives, um, as John always does, gives more of a personal, closer approach to this gospel story. But I'll be pulling details from Matthew, Mark, and Luke as well today. What you see here is um, there would be, we don't know how many are at this uh, dinner, but we do know there's about 17 who's listed by name through the Gospels. And it would be the apostles, it would be Simon the leper, be Jesus himself, and it would be Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Isn't it amazing that even Simon the leper, who was cleansed and who was changed, is still dining with them? That these people's lives that he touched, you know, many times we read the stories a healing happens, and then you read the next chapter, and you kind of move on from that person or move on from that experience. But a lot of the times, if you look in the details, they would walk with him and follow him. They would live life with him and, quite frankly, be a witness to the miracles that he did. So we see Simon the leper is here. We see Lazarus, Mary, Martha are here, and all the apostles, um, including Judas still. We'll see what Judas plays in this. So we see what the scripture says. I'll read through it, and then we'll preach. Somebody say amen. It says, then six days before the Passover, so you can see how close it is to the Passion. It says, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Another translation says reclined. It's important. I'm squinting. Where are we? Okay, so we'll start at verse 2. There he made a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was at one of the tables with him. Then Mary took a pound of oil, of costly oil, of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped the feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. Isn't that beautiful? But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was the fragrant oil not sold for the hundred denarii and given to the poor? For the three hundred denarii and given to the poor. Then he said, Not that he cared for the poor. This is important, Judas's heart. He sounds spiritual, but I can tell you he ain't. But because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what, he, what was put in it, but Jesus said, let 
her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. I can tell you Mary didn't even know what she was doing to the fullness, but this is a prophetic moment here. For the poor will always be among you. For the poor you have with you always. But me you do not have always. That's powerful. It says, now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. In the other translations, it goes on to talk about Judas, that it was at this moment he began um, planning Jesus' betrayal. So this is a pivotal point in Judas's life when something turned where Judas would begin preparing betrayal. But we see so much in the scripture, and there's several things I want to bring out. One being the main point is what Jesus or what Judas judges is critical, Jesus judges is beautiful. What Judas judges is critical, Jesus judges is something beautiful. How many times in our life do we allow a critical, cynical spirit to judge something that Jesus would say, You're completely wrong in this? This is something beautiful. This is something costly that's happening. How many of us could even identify the amount of oil in the, in the gospel of Mark? It would say that Mary comes in and she breaks the head of the flask, signifying that she has no intentions of ever putting that cap back on, that every bit of that oil was going to touch Jesus' feet. And not only, it was customary of the time that when someone walked into a room, especially of this kind of setting, that they would anoint the head of those walking in. So Mary, it says, comes in abruptly. She rushes in. And she goes to the feet of Jesus, not his head, his feet, begins pouring the oil and wiping it with her hair. Some would say this would be intimately uncomfortable for those that were even in the room, not knowing what to do with the situation. You gotta understand, too, women at the time were seen but not heard. So the fact that a woman was coming in doing this at the feet of Jesus, it would be nearly scandalous. So this whole moment is playing out, and they're watching. Judas, of course, speaks up here, critical and cynical, and rebukes her. Other places in the gospel would say that the disciples begin speaking up as well. But then when Jesus rebuked, it says the disciples backed off, but Judas did not. Now, this is important, too. When you get a rebuke from Jesus, that, that should be what happened is you should recalibrate and say, you know what? Maybe I'm following the wrong voice in the room to the moment that's happening. But Judas, he was already long gone in his heart because we know in other places this was the trigger where he began planning Jesus' betrayal. We know that as the oil was poured out, there's that beautiful point of scripture. It said the fragrance began filling the room. I don't know about you, but my prayer is when my worship comes forth, when I walk into Monday tomorrow and I wake up and say, let everything I do today be done unto the Lord, I pray the fragrance of my faith and of my commitment and of my life begin to fill the nostrils of Jesus, begin to uh, fill the, my workplace, begin to fill the places in my life that my children will sense the fragrance of the oil. This is powerful as well because there was such an abundance of oil poured on Jesus. 
and 300 denarii would be as much of, of one of us giving our annual wages to Jesus in that moment. Many of us can't even muster up 10% that doesn't even belong to us, if I can be honest, let alone give everything to him. So we see Mary laying it all out, not holding anything back, and she pours the oil, and this is so important in the prophetic understanding of what's happened. Because of the abundance of oil, it would so saturate into Jesus' skin, into his pores, and as he heads into his passion, what fragrance would he smell? It would be the oil that happened at this moment. Is Jesus' sweating blood? What is he smelling? As the wind begins to blow on the triumphal entry, what fragrance is blowing off of Jesus' body? The oil. This is powerful when you get into the details of all that's taking place here. So we see Mary pouring her love, her deepest affection, pouring her worship out upon Jesus, unbound, undignified, not caring who's in the room, not caring what the consequence could be, not knowing how Jesus would respond to it. But she rushed in and she did something so beautiful. And you have to see the different characters at play here, especially Judas and what he's doing and what he's saying the tone, the attitude, how anytime God usually does something beautiful, anytime there's a moment, the enemy always wants to come and desensitize you where you don't get anything from the moment, where you're not blessed by the moment, where you're not receiving in the moment, or if you put yourself on Mary's side where you can't walk in that moment and do and be obedient with what God is leading you to do. You can say it this way. Have you ever been in a place where God speaks you're obedient, and then you see the reward. It's amazing. You're like, why can't I just do that every time? <laughs> but the enemy is going to put every roadblock, every point of reason. And what we have to understand about love is love usually doesn't reason in the moment. Mary's not reasoning here. We talked of last week. Mary didn't reason at the tomb. She said, just give me his body. It's like, Mary, you're going to carry a dead body out of the tomb by yourself. I don't think that's going to happen. So we see Mary didn't reason through all the nuts and bolts. How's it going to happen? How's it going to work out? She just desired affection to pour out upon Jesus. So we see Judas. This is important. We see Judas rebuking her. And don't you find it funny that Jesus is rebuking her of we could take this and give it to the poor when he himself, as the treasure of Jesus' ministry, who is consistently stealing from Jesus, is the one trying to rebuke her when he's doing the very thing that she's trying to rebuke her of. A hypocrite at its finest. And this is what we've got to be careful of. And this is even for our church. Is we're just asking for the fragrance of the Holy Spirit to fill our lives, to fill the room, that we not approach him with a critical spirit, that we not be the Judas in the room that questions, that tries to always deconstruct it, that tries to always reason through it, 
but understand that when true love is being poured out, there is a vulnerability. And when God's love shows up in our gatherings and our services, we've got to protect the vulnerability. We can't judge it right away. Now understand this too. As I'm talking about worship, I'm not talking about what we do in the three or four songs that we sing here. I'm talking about in your life. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is what you assign worth to. You got to look at every part of your life, not the Sunday where we're feeling good, where we're worshiping, where we're gathered together. We got to take it into every part of our life because that's where real change and real power is found. But we see it's costly oil, and you need to know this about love: is that love is costly. And if I'm honest, the church can easily get in a place of infatuation and not love. Infatuation is attraction. I'm attracted to that. That sounds good. That feels good. But when you move into the realm of love, it costs you something. Mother Teresa would say, how do you know when you're loving? You know you're loving when it begins to hurt. And when it begins to hurt, that's when you keep going. Because real love is being exercised, not just infatuation. What can I get from that person? How can I manipulate the situation? But we know we're loving when it gets costly, when it begins to hurt. I love what C.S. Lewis says as well. He says, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. Anybody been there? You opened your heart, it got wrung, possibly got broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully, round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. This is what we do to be safe. It says, he says, lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But know this, in that casket, though it be safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will move to bitterness. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Here to tell you today that the enemy is after your vulnerability. The enemy is even to a place, he gets you so far in a church, he gets you so far in a marriage, he gets you so far in a relationship where you get vulnerable and then he attacks. He waits to get you vulnerable because you're open. So when you begin to open up your heart, that's where you have to know that you're putting a target on your back. And you gotta begin to fight to protect vulnerability, to protect intimacy. And Mary teaches us this. And it's based in the principle she knew how forgiven she was, so therefore she could love so freely because look at how she was loved. And if someone can love me in this place of prostitution, then I'm giving my all to this Jesus. So we see this beauty, this pouring out. We've got to know, we've got to give until it, hurt, it hurts. I love Romans 12.1. You know what it says? Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind that he finds acceptable. This is truly the way we worship him. We give and we give and we give. This is the place of worship. You've got to allow the love of God 
to be medicine in your life, to be vulnerable again. And I'm telling you today, if you come into church consistently and regularly, you're tired, you're lethargic, you really don't care, you're just here for, to hear something good and you're not here to worship, you're missing it. I'm talking to myself too because I can get in a routine. So you've got to get to this place of saying, God, I got to keep my heart open to hear from you, to receive from you, to know you. And this is why we worship together. And, and we can take the gathering of God's people and we can just be so loose with it sometimes. Take it for granted. Get familiar with it. Why was Mary the only one doing anything in the room? I can tell you the apostles were familiar with him. They saw him. They saw him do miracles. They could get whatever they want when they needed it. But Mary takes the devotion a step deeper. I even love, too, because it says Jesus was reclining. And when you picture reclining in those days, it's almost as though you're laying down. You weren't sitting at a chair. It was reclining at the table. So it, it just shows this place of closeness and intimacy. This is what we desire, that intimacy with him, that it's into me I want you to see. That's what intimacy is. And I think we can become so guarded that we miss what he's wanting to do. That Judas, he had a warped heart Therefore, he had a warped filter. Jesus, Judas had already made his decision, like I said, and now he's contemplating of how can I betray him. I pray we never become a Judas spirit or we are intimidated by a Judas spirit where we allow ourselves to have a warped heart because if we live in this place of infatuation with Jesus all the time, you will have a warped heart. This is what we learn about Jesus too. In Judas' in Judas's relationship, this is powerful. Um, what we see is that Jesus himself, the perfect leader, the son of God, never lets us down, never fails us, never makes a wrong move. Every decision is God-breathed and God-led. So Jesus is loving Judas perfectly, right? There's really no reason Jesus causes any offense in Judas' life. Can we all agree on that? Is Jesus. But because of Judas's warped view, because of his warped heart, he then has a warped view of the things of how Jesus is perfectly loving him. And sometimes if you're a parent, you experience it as a pastor, as a leader, you can have the most pure and genuine intentions and they get misunderstood. They get rebuked because you're loving, but it's not seen through that lens. It's seen through a Judas lens where it's warped of the heart and it's warped in vision. And this is why it's important we have to guard that worship so we don't get warped. Tony, this is where the enemy works. Doesn't show up with a pitchfork, he shows up to try to warp you where you don't get the love of God communicated clearly, effectively, and where it changes you. It says Jesus takes himself out of the room. Know this, if you will continue to love to keep a right heart don't engage with the critical, cynical spirit. It'll take itself out. And you trust Jesus with it. I want to end with this and invite our team. So we're going to do a powerful song today. You know, this story would actually be connected into the story of the prodigal. It's amazing. I was studying this uh, a few weeks ago. And you would see in the story of the prodigal, you know it, that um, 
the prodigal son, he wakes up one day, wakes up in his uh, swaller, wakes up in the pig pen and says, I can be a, uh, a servant in the house of my God. I, it, it's better there. And a lot of the times, and this is the point I want to make today, many times we focus on everything the prodigal did. We focus on the prodigal son, which it's known as. Known as. But really the story is about the father, of what the father does, the lavishness of love. And if you didn't know this, prodigal actually means spending money or resources freely and recklessly, wastefully extravagant. So we know the prodigal son, and we all have a prodigal in us that's fighting to come out to waste what God has given us. And so we know the prodigal son wasted on this side. But look at the prodigal father for a moment. He wastes on the other side. He begins to waste his love. He begins to waste his affection. He says, off in the distance, he sees the son, and he runs after the son. He puts a ring on the son's finger. He puts the, the coat over his back. He says, we're killing the finest calf we have, and we are celebrating because my son has returned. Do you see the picture here that he's wasting his love, pouring his love out on the son? We focus on the prodigal son's wasting, but there's something more powerful here that the father is wasting his love, is being extravagant and unbound with the love that he's pouring out. You got to know this about your God today is when he sees the prodigal places in our life. And I'm so thankful for the places he's touched in me. Anybody thankful when he touches the place where we've taken a gift he's given us, we've taken a, a moment like Judas did. We, we, we take a place and we, we miss it because we're jaded, because we're warped. And I pray that the Spirit of God within us that conviction that it would as Jesus did that it would rebuke the places that say waste the moment of what Jesus is doing even Jesus says the poor will always be among you saying there's always going to be a ministry and a mission to the poor but you have this one moment with me what are you going to do with it and I pray we never miss the moments you know this week as we grieved Pastor Joyce you just you begin to think of the moments you've had with someone and you begin to reflect on them and you begin to, to think through. You know, four days before she went into the hospital, I was out working, doing junk removal and uh, I had been lingering and getting over to her house to get some things removed. She was cleaning out her storage room and it's funny because she would always kind of purge every three months and she would would jokingly say, she said, you know, you're going to be thankful one day that I'm cleaning all this out. And we'd laugh and it's like, okay, nanny, we, whatever. Um, and so I felt something in my heart. I was working on a Friday. I normally don't. Um, and I said, you know what? I need to get over there and get that stuff. And so I got, I went over there and we got all the stuff out and had a great time, 20 minutes or something, just talking with her and um, just one of those moments that I try not to rush through just to get the job done, but felt to just spend time with her. There we, mom and dad were out of town. I was sick all week and 
she was texting me every day, how you feeling, honey? I'm praying for you. I love you. You know, those are moments that you hold on to. And it was when we were at her house, um, we said, well, you know, it's 4 o'clock. Why don't we, you know, go get dinner at 5.30? Um, Mom and Dad were out of town. They were back, and Bree and I and the kids, we all met, and we had dinner. And um, when she walked in, and we were having dinner, it was at Panera. And she pulls her card out, and she says, I want to pay for everybody because I'm just so thankful for my family. It was almost now looking back because you see this through Scripture that they didn't realize the moment of what, what was even happening here. That so many times there's moments happening, but we don't even know the power till the moment's passed. And it was almost as though God gave us a moment with her. It would be the last dinner we ever had with her. And it was as though she was saying goodbye to us. What I'm telling you today don't miss the moments. Don't get so callous. Don't get so jaded. You get into that prodigal son too, that the father ministers to him. He says, how is all this, why is all this happening? I've been here, I've been in my place, been doing my thing. But the father realized the reason there's extravagance poured out, and this is the scandal of grace. This is why grace makes no sense. is because what was poured out to him, he knew what that younger son was going to have to um, work through and deal with. And that's the beauty of even Mary, the sin and the place she committed. Grace was that much sweeter to her and meant so much more because of what she experienced with him. And I'm afraid those of us who grow up in church, who are at church all the time, we go through the motions, we forget what was done for us. We forget, like the song we're about to do, thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied in my life. That it changes everything. That it takes me a sinner and Jesus calls me a saint. Oh, I pray we don't miss the moments and we not be afraid to pour it all out. That we don't be stingent, that we don't hold back, that we allow the Spirit of God to unbind us. Pastor Joyce would always say, too, you can't have all word and no spirit and all spirit and no word. Anybody remember that? Right? She'd say it all the time. And I was thinking, you know, if you just have the word, you're going to dry up and just be this religious person. But when the spirit comes into a life that is with the word, it saturates every part of your life. And I pray we be a people that love and honor the word of God we allow the Spirit of God to flow freely in us because as I look at Pastor Joyce's life and I look at some of her last moments with us last months or years she was just loving and caring trying not to be so focused on some things going on in her body but she was just trying to freely give the love that she had toward her grandkids, her grandbabies, her kids all of us I want us to stand and I want us to take communion before we worship. As you prepare the elements, I want you just to close your eyes for a moment.
And I want this to be a moment for us, for you, for me, for all of us. That as we move forward as a church, like I said, I've had this message in me for about four months. And I believe it was strategic for a moment for all of us to say, as we move forward as a church, as we grieve beautiful, wonderful pastor, as we look to the future, we take the words of C.S. Lewis and say, to love is to be vulnerable. And that we guard the vulnerability of his presence when he touches, when he moves, when he breaks into our life. You know, you see our first parents, Adam and Eve, in the garden. We see after they sinned, they ran and they hid. The best they could do is create fig leaves to hide their nakedness. That's what was their response. We know God comes and meets with them and says, Adam, where are you? I miss you. I love you. We had an appointment to walk and talk today. There's this powerful scripture in Genesis 3, and I think we can miss it if we just read too quickly through it where we see the blood of the lamb being applied, even in the garden. This is what's amazing. Genesis 3, look what it says. It says, also for Adam and his wife, this is before they were about to be sent out. It says, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Many theologians would say that it would be the skin of a lamb. This is in the Old Testament in the Garden of Eden. This is why the scripture says that Jesus was crucified before the foundations of the world. So the plan of God was already happening way back here. And picture that skin, that it be dripping in blood, and God himself, they didn't do it, says God himself takes the skin dripping in blood and covers them. We need to know this today, that the blood is the most powerful substance known to man that can change a story, that can change a moment, that can change someone like Mary who had blown it, who had messed it up, but encounter such amazing grace that she said, I'm going to live a life forever at the feet of Jesus. I'm gonna live a life that is poured out and that what is poured out that the fragrance would fill the room. I pray right now, Jesus, that the fragrance of your love, of your goodness would fill our lives, would fill our hearts. God, we need the fragrance. God, in that what you've done in us, that it would fill the lives and the spaces and places of those around us. Oh, how good it was to see hundreds and hundreds of people that came through because of the fragrance that filled the people's lives that Pastor Joyce touched. From her graduating class to the florist she worked for in the 70s to people at the bank all around. And that fragrance of the Holy Spirit, of that oil. Oh, Jesus, that we would emulate that, that we would make that our life's goal. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ears. As we taste and see that the Lord is good today, let us be reminded of the blood applied. If you would lift the body, if you would break it, it says his body was broken for you. 
even in the middle of Judas's betrayal. You know, the script, the commentary that the fathers would teach us is that you would have to think, why would Jesus keep Judas around knowing what he's doing? Well, if you didn't know this, Jesus loved Judas very much. And he was one of his apostles. Judas was not void of Jesus' love. And commentary would tell us that he kept Judas around in the place of money because he knew that there was such a, a, a greed that led and drove his life. And it says that if Jesus' prayer was and his heart was that if he keeps him close, maybe Judas would repent. Maybe Judas would change. Jesus kept loving him while he was stealing from him. Would you love the people closest to you that kept stealing the very things that were precious to you? I know I would struggle with it. But his body was broken for Judas. His body is broken for us. His body is broken for the prodigal that's in all of us today. Oh, Jesus, as we move forward as a church, let Gathering Place, let ZCA be known for the fragrance of the love of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that we would follow in the mission that Pastor Joyce leaves us with. Oh, as sons and daughters come in, that they would know that they are no longer orphaned, that they have family in the body of Christ. We thank you that the body of Jesus was broken for us. We take it with joy today. In Jesus' name. And Jesus, as we take your blood of the new covenant, as we sing this song today, thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you, Jesus, that it has washed me white. Thank you, Jesus, you have saved my life. Anybody thankful that you have been saved today? You've been redeemed today. You've been redeemed from the curse and you've been brought into a spiritual blessing. Oh, this is how good our God is. That while we were still yet sinners, Christ loved us. And his love wants to permeate every part of you today. If you lift the cup, thank you, Jesus, for the blood. We raise it. We thank you for it, for the endless supply of your blood today. We repent of our sin. And we say, Jesus, as we repent, Refresh us in your spirit. Refresh us in our identity. Refresh us in the deepest parts of who we are, in the insecurity, in the places we're cynical, in the places we're judging where you say, no, 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 that's beautiful. Jesus is moving. Jesus is working there. We take the cup in Jesus' name. you would lift your voice if you know the song. Let's just begin to worship and thank him as we head into Holy Week this week. In the name of Jesus. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We pray it encouraged, uplifted, and challenged you to become more like Christ. We would love to hear from you. You can email your prayer request to prayer at gpcky.com. Loving our podcast? Take a moment and like and subscribe on our YouTube channel to stay up to date with all of our new content. Thanks for listening.